Well, I absolutely love Easter. And being that I am a pastor, <laughs> it's probably a good thing. This day, this celebration is something that we talk about for months uh, leading up to the day. And we go all out in trying to make things special. You know, whether that be the music or the backdrop on the stage or the welcoming environment or the message, we do whatever we can to, in a little small way, make this day worthy of the event that we get to celebrate together. And you know, when it comes to making Easter special, you do that too on a personal level. Uh, I think for some of us, maybe, you know, we're wearing a brand new shirt or maybe a new dress. Uh, for some of you who work at home all the time now or maybe a college student, what made today special is you took a shower. First time in a long time, you know, pulling out all the stops. For others of us, maybe we're going to have a special meal later in the day, or maybe there are some special people sitting next to you or that you're going to see later in the day. Maybe for you, what makes Easter special is that you're here, that you're at church or you're watching online because that doesn't always happen. Or maybe it hasn't happened in a really long time, but it's Easter and you're here. But as great as things appear on the outside, as perfect as they might seem as the lights are on and the, the songs are filled with joy, let me be real with you. Do you mind? You know, that things on the inside are not always as wonderful as they look on the outside. Think about a closet at your house or that drawer that's called the junk drawer, or maybe it's a room. And think about getting ready for guests to come over and how you get all the areas where people will see looking really nice, but some of you have that closet or you have that room or what I found in marriage, it's usually whatever space is the husband's becomes the place where you then put all of the stuff and don't go in there. Don't open the door. Don't try to go in there. Don't look because it is messy in there. And that's true with people too. It's true in some ways with me. It's probably true with you as well. We're masters at making things look better on the outside than they really are on the inside. Has this ever happened to you? You get up on a Sunday or a Saturday and you and the family are going to church. We're going to praise the Lord. But you argue the entire way over or you're frustrated with the kids or you're upset at the parents or your spouse and you aren't getting along and then you... You hit the parking lot and all of a sudden those shouts turn into shouts of praise and we just know how to smile, right? Or, or maybe deeper than that. Maybe on the inside, you're dealing with some really difficult physical struggles, your health, or, or maybe they're emotional, they're mind things that you're going through. And we know how so often to make it look like everything's all right and the people around us may not even know. Maybe you're 
dealing with financial things. Maybe it's relational things. Maybe it's spiritual. I know in some ways, Easter can be a big thing to process, especially, again, if you're new to God and new to church. And at the same time, this can be true for all of us that maybe today you've come to church and when it comes to this God that I've never seen before, you've got questions. You've got questions about God. You've got questions about Easter. You know what you're doing? You're trying to reconcile maybe the truth that there is a good God with the circumstances that you've endured in your life and the things you've had to go through. I mean, you just think about this last year. If you're someone who's coming to Easter 2021 with some doubts or some questions, I get it. I really do. In fact, you probably aren't thinking. You're probably not human if you don't, at least in a little bit. And I want you to know that if you've ever had questions about God, if you've ever felt a little bit of a messiness inside when it comes to trying to figure things out, I want you to know you're not alone. That I've been there at times and others have as well. In fact, I'm going to say it this way for our first fill-in for today, that there is a messiness inside of every single one of us. There's a messiness inside of every single one of us. And the reality is that our faith life, our walk with Jesus, our walk with God, none of our faith walks has looked like this. Like if it was a chart up and to the right, like always just great, always just going trust, 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 more trust, more trust, perfect, perfect, perfect. There are highs and there are lows and there are ups and there are downs. And there are are these points where there's this great faith and this great trust. And you can think back to maybe some moments like that. And then there's these other points where there's been worry and there's been doubt. Here's what I want you to know. You've come on a good day because the event of Easter makes all the difference. This event that we're gonna unpack for just a little bit, this event of Easter can make all the difference when it comes to the messiness inside and to come away with less questions and more confidence The time we have left, I want to show you how that is, how this is true by helping you get into the mind and the heart of one of the people who were there at that first Easter. His name was Peter. Peter was one of the observers of the first Easter. He was was one of Jesus' three best friends and one of the 12 disciples. And, And you would think, because there are churches named after Peter and there are children named after Peter and there are even books of the Bible written and named after Peter that he must have always been great both on the outside and on the inside. But that's just not true. In fact, 
as Peter is coming to Easter, as he's arriving on Easter Sunday, have you ever, have you ever heard of a hot mess? Maybe that would be a word to describe you at times, a hot mess, right? Peter is a hot mess, both on the inside and on the outside. So we're going to look at Peter here and pick it up on Easter Sunday as we go to John chapter 20. This is John's account of what happened on Easter John is one of the disciples that was there with Peter, and we'll read about that now. Early on the first day of the week, Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, she went early with some other women because they were going to finish the Jewish burial custom of anointing dead bodies with oils and with spices. And they couldn't get it done on Friday, the Sabbath day was on Saturday, so they couldn't do uh, any, anything then. And so Sunday morning was the earliest that they could be there. And when they got there, the stone was gone. This big stone that they were wondering how they were going to move it, it was, it was gone. Verse 2. So she came running, Mary did, to Simon Peter and the other disciple. They're, they're huddled in a room in Jerusalem with lots of questions. I told you that Peter was a hot mess. He and the other disciples, they are not at the graveside, at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, just waiting for Jesus to rise from the dead. Peter's not there in his brand new shirt with a guitar ready to sing some Easter hymn. He and the disciples are huddled in a room in fear with lots of questions. You have questions. Peter had questions too. His questions were things like this. What if the Jews come after us next? what am I going to do with my life now? Because the one that I hooked my future on is gone. Did I just waste three years of my life following Jesus? This is the Peter. This is the group of people that Mary runs back to as they're locked in this room out of fear. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself in, uh, in his gospel and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Now, the tomb is empty. There's no body there. And Mary's first response or her first thought is not, well, I guess Jesus is alive. He must have risen from the dead. Her first reaction is the same reaction you would have if you went to a gravesite or a cemetery and there's a big hole there and your loved one, grandparent, whatever it might be, is not there anymore. You wouldn't think, oh, he or she rose from the dead. You would think, well, that's weird. Someone came and stole the coffin, stole the body. You see, just like you and I on Easter, when you wonder, I've never seen someone self-resurrect themselves. Mary was just a normal person like you and I. And this was weird for her too. And her thought was, someone must have stolen the body. Verse three. So Peter and the other disciple, again, John, started for the tomb. Both were running. You know, running is a good time to think. I don't know if you ever do that or listen to a podcast or 
you know, you, you think while you walk out in nature or on a treadmill. And I have to, I have to bet that Peter's doing a lot of thinking as he runs. He's thinking about all the things that I just talked about, the, the Jews, his future, his life and livelihood. You know what I think he's also thinking about? The last time that Peter and Jesus met eyes, do you remember when that was? At least that we have recorded for us. The last time was while Jesus was on trial and he was chained and bloodied and bruised by that time already. And Peter is in the courtyard. Jesus may be a hundred yards off. I'm not sure how far. But Peter gets asked by a schoolgirl whether he knows Jesus. And with curse words, he denies even knowing Jesus. And after the third time, Jesus looks towards Peter and their eyes meet. And can you imagine, can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the mess that's going on inside of Peter? There's guilt, there's fear, there's worry, there's concern. And the reason why that mess is there in part is because Peter also did not expect that Jesus would rise from the dead. He thought that when Jesus died, it was over. And when Jesus died, his hope died. When Jesus died, the disciples, their hope died. Their hope for a better life, or so they thought. Their hope for fame and fortune and glory, or so they thought. You see, when you don't expect a resurrection, when you don't keep the idea of death of Jesus not being the end, but just a stepping stone towards victory, if you don't think about that, well, much like for the disciples, number two, things don't make sense without the resurrection. They didn't for Mary. She's all up in arms. They didn't, for the disciples, things didn't make disciples, things didn't make sense. They didn't make sense for Peter either when he didn't include the idea of Jesus' resurrection. And here's where I want to apply it to you. This is true for us too. That so often we can have misconceptions about God and what he's all about and how he works. And you're going to understand less about God and you're going to have more messiness going on in here of questions when we don't continuously remember the resurrection. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the questions that people often have, and frankly, this is a big one that has kept people away from believing in God or trusting in him is this whole sort of tension we have with the pain and suffering in the world. Sometimes people might ask the question this way. You've probably asked yourself some form of this question. If there is a good God, how can there be so much pain and suffering in the world? And we could have a whole series on this. We don't have time for that today. I think one thing I want to quickly mention is that God did not bring pain and suffering in the world. Humanity did. It's us, our sin 
that caused a perfect world to now not work perfectly. But even then, God can do all things, can he? Can't he do something about my pain? Does God have the power to take away the cancer, to take away the pandemic, to make things better? And we have to say, yes, he does. He absolutely does. So is he good? (laughs) Absolutely. Here's the thing. It makes me think about duct tape. Here's why. I am on a scale of one to 10 of handy. I'm like, you know, at the one level and people who know me know that. And so guess what is the best friend of someone who's not handy? It's duct tape. You just do a lot of things with it. It's just that whatever you try to fix, most things that you try to fix with duct tape, it doesn't last very long. It's a short term solution to a much bigger problem. And when God looked at the world, when he looked at humanity after we fell into sin, he could have given a short-term solution and he could have made Adam and Eve's earthly life wonderful. He could have. He could have taken away some of that pain and suffering. And then you know what would have happened? They would have died and they would have been lost. But when God looked at the world, when he looked at you, when he looked at me, he recognized the very best way to love us is not to put duct tape on our issues or our problems so that we're happy for 80 years if we have the strength. Instead, he decided to do something bigger and greater. And someday when he returns, it's not duct tape he's going to use. He's going to totally start over on Judgment Day and recreate this world perfectly for us. You see, Here's the thing we always need to keep in mind or we're always gonna have questions about goodness, God's goodness, that Jesus came to give us a life that's greater than this life. That there's something bigger than just what I see right now. That there's an existence that God created us for that we're able to be in relationship with him forever. And understanding that is the key to understanding God, things don't make sense without the resurrection. Let's go back to Peter, verse four. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I always laugh when I read that line because the other disciple is John writing and I feel like he's just kind of bragging. You know, like I, you know, 2000 years later, they're gonna remember that I'm faster than Peter. Um, I don't know. It probably wasn't what he was meaning by that, but it's funny nonetheless. He bends over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. That's John. Then... Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Peter saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So why so much talk about the cloth and the linen and all that kind of stuff? It's simply this. If someone would have stolen the body, especially a crucified body, there's no way that the thief, the robber, is going to first take off all the linen. 
think about all the blood and all the, the fluids that would be a part of a body that had been crucified. You would not take that off. And what you also wouldn't do, and the Greek kind of vets this out a little bit more, it says that the headcloth was kind of folded nicely. A, a thief doesn't fold things after they steal a body. It's like someone coming into your house to rob you and then they, you know, put everything in the dishwasher for you so you don't have to worry about it in the morning. That just, that doesn't happen. And so the reaction is, well, this can't be a robbery. What John saw, what he wrote down showed that this wasn't a robbery. He continues, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, remember, John, like, remember, don't forget, I reached the tomb first, also went inside and John saw the linens, the cloths, and believed. He, He believed this wasn't a robbery. He believed there's something special or amazing, maybe even a resurrection going on, but they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It was a still a hard thing to fathom and to think about because you don't experience someone having power to raise themselves from the dead. And why I'm bringing this out is because sometimes, once again, we think that we're the only ones with messiness going on inside of here. We're the only ones with questions. Isn't it amazing to think that the very first disciples and the women who knew Jesus best, they were confused and had questions on the first Easter about God and about Jesus and about his plan. When did things finally change? Well, Easter changed everything. And what happened was that evening, that evening of Easter, John writes this. On the evening of that first day of the week, so Sunday night, when the disciples were together still with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, the resurrected Jesus came and stood right there among them. And remember, This is not a made up fairy tale. John is just writing down exactly what he saw, exactly what he experienced and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And when you look back on history, from this point forward, the leaders of the Christian church hardly feared at all. Of course, there was still messiness going on inside, but the resurrection of Jesus, Easter, was at the center of their teaching. If you read through the book of Acts, you see all the things or many things that they talked about. And the core of their teaching was not, you know, a philosophy of living. It wasn't a 10-step program to a better you. The heart and core was simply this. I saw Jesus crucified and buried, and I then saw Jesus rise and live. And over and over again, that was the central theme. There's so much about God. There's so many questions, but the heart of it is simply this. What happened to Jesus? The disciples knew. He died and was buried. He rose and he lives. And because Jesus does, because he conquered sin, 
because he did exactly what God promised, that lamb of God took away the sin of the world, you and I also can be, through faith, victorious over sin, death, and the devil. Number three, Easter changed everything. Want me to show you how it changed Peter? Let's play a little game of before and after. So before Easter, before Easter, Peter is in the Garden of Gethsemane running away from danger. After Easter, I mean, what happened to Peter? He runs towards danger for the rest of his life. He's no more locked in a room fearful. What happened? I know what happened. He saw Jesus die and rise again. Before Easter, we see Peter in the courtyard too afraid to even say that he knows Jesus when questioned about it. After Easter, we have record of how he would not stop talking about it. I mean, the Romans, they would try to imprison him and say, stop talking about Jesus or you're going to be back here. He'd get out and that Acts records the very same day, they'd go out and start talking about it again in the same exact, nothing could stop him. Before Easter, we remember Peter huddled in a room filled with fear. After Easter, we see Peter traveling the known world filled with peace. And as we close, I want to look at some words that this Peter, who had been a hot mess, some words that he wrote as an old man waiting his execution, how he wrote about what he experienced. It's in a, a letter that has been named First Peter. It's written by him towards the end of his life. He says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Praise He's awaiting his execution. Praise. He's going through difficulty and hardship. Praise. The life of a Christian in first century Israel, the Roman Empire was about the hardest time in history to be a Christian. Peter endured a lot of hardship. He had a lot of reasons to ask, is God really good? And yet in this moment, he says, praise to God. And here's why, because Peter's faith was not tied to an imaginary God who makes this life good all the time, because a God like that would be an imaginary God. This type of God that promises that your life is going to be good all the time, that God does not exist. Remember, we have a God who decided to not take duct tape to our problems, but decided to give us something better. Verse three, see in his great mercy, he has given us new birth, Peter writes, into a living hope. Jesus is that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It continues, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I love that word inheritance. You know where you get an inheritance from? Usually not someone who hates you. Usually not someone you don't know, usually. 
usually an inheritance comes from someone who loves you, a family member, a really close friend. And I want you to know that with your messiness and all, that same God who has the power over the grave, when he thinks of the gift he wants to give you in heaven someday, he calls you part of his family and he calls this a gift, an inheritance to my family, to my children. And that is what you are. See, someday, much like Peter, as he's writing this letter, you and I are going to have an event that is going to bring us face to face with this, with our mortality. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. Um, maybe it's a loved one that was taken from you earlier than you thought. Um, maybe it was a close call on the highway um, or on a plane. But at some point, all of us have had these moments where we're just thinking about the fact that I'm, I'm not going to live on this earth forever, that, that life is short. And you know, when Peter faced this moment of mortality, right after Jesus had been died, when he's killed, when he was locked in a room, he responded with a whole bunch of fear and a whole lot of messiness. But after he experienced a risen Jesus, he writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's filled with so much peace. See, Easter changes everything. Number four, death was not the end for Jesus. And won't be for you either. By faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, we get to live in confidence. Is there messiness in here? Probably. I'm guessing so. And yet, God still wants you. Jesus still died for you. And because of Easter for Peter, and I pray also for you today, that Easter changes everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love that uh, led you to not just put duct tape over our problems, but to give us hope for eternity. And so that's why your plan was to send Jesus. Lord, we know that you are a good and gracious God and the empty tomb is our proof. Help us to navigate difficult circumstances with a greater amount of trust, even when we can't always explain things, knowing that there is a life that's bigger than this life and that you have an eternity awaiting for us to spend with you. Lord, help us to leave this place a little less messy inside to focus on you and what you've done for us. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.